We've been going through the Holy History. The theme for this series is found in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 11. It says, these things happened to them as examples for us and were written down for our instruction upon whom the end of the ages have come. All of these events that took place with Israel in the Old Testament are not just history, they're his story. It's God's interaction and intervention in human history. God's plan to bring the whole earth to himself, to bring all the people of the earth to be a part of his kingdom. So we've been walking through uh, the Old Testament. We've been walking through holy history, and I'm not going to review it like I did last week. I'm just going to say that we've gotten to Solomon now, and Solomon is the third king in Israel. What do you know Solomon for? He was wise, right? Um, That was what he asked God for. Uh, God spoke to Solomon and said, what do, what do you want, right? I know that, you know, you're, you're ready to rule and we put you on the throne. What do you want? And Solomon said, I am just a child. I need wisdom to know how to rule this people. And God said, wow, okay, then you've got it. You didn't ask me to destroy your enemies. You didn't ask me to make you rich. You asked for wisdom. So now I'm going to give you all the rest. So Solomon's name really means peace, and he had a peaceful and prosperous reign. Um, He's got two, I think, lasting contributions, uh, things that should be significant to us. First of all is the Proverbs or the wisdom literature. You can include Ecclesiastes in that. Um, Billy Graham, through his entire life, read a passage out of the New Testament, a psalm, and a proverb every single day. That's really not a bad idea. In fact, read a couple of Proverbs. Uh, Proverbs is one of those books. There's 31 chapters. Uh, Typically, I would not advise you to just open your Bible and stick your finger there and read a verse and say God's speaking to you because weird things can happen. You know, you open your Bible and you put your finger on a verse and it said, it says, and Judas hanged himself. Ooh. So you close your Bible, you open it again and put your finger on a verse. Go thou and do likewise. Oh, no, 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 no. That might be the devil speaking using your strange way of uh, divining the will of God. That's not a whole lot different than flipping a coin or rolling dice, okay? Um, But this is why I send out Bible verses uh, every day. If you want to get on that list, text the word daily Bible. It's not really one word. It's two stuck together, daily Bible to 94000, and you'll start getting daily Bible verses from me. And uh, I pray about those. I have a bunch of lectionaries that I read, and I send those out so that you'll have something to read. But when we go in the Old Testament, we're not just reading a bunch of old history, a bunch of laws. We're looking at holy history, God's interaction and intervention in human history through his chosen people, Israel, and that eventually resulted in the the bringing about the birth of Messiah. That's what Christmas is all about, and Messiah permits us all to become a part of God's people if we choose to put our faith in Messiah, whose name is whose name is Jesus, Yeshua. Very good. Somebody got, got the, the correct Jewish way of saying it. Um, so today, I, we could have looked at the Proverbs, but I want to look at a lesson from Solomon's temple, right? Um, so again, Solomon did the Proverbs. That is testament to his wisdom. But when he built the temple, it's testament 
to the prosperity that he brought to Israel, among other things, because this this building was massive and it was beautiful. It was amazing. It was a wonder of the world at the time. Um, Prior to the temple, however, the building of this huge building uh, on a mountain, one of the, the, the uh, hills, if you will, in Jerusalem, uh, Israel worshipped at a tent, and the tent was called the what? The tabernacle, right? And the tent moved around with them out in the wilderness, everywhere they went, and the tent moved with them into the promised land. And even after David had built his palace, David was the one that brought them into Jerusalem. He, uh, Jerusalem was very difficult to con- conquer, and it was originally... Uh, under the authority and the power of a group of people called the Jebusites. In fact, Jerusalem comes from Jebus, the Jebusites, Salem, Jebusalem, Jerusalem. And so that became the city of David. Well, David wanted to build a temple, but the Lord said, no, you cannot build a temple because you have been a man of war. So this is what the scripture says about that. This is in 1 Chronicles 22, 8 through 10. This is the English Standard Version. But the word of the Lord came to me saying, you have shed much blood and have waged great wars. You shall not build a house to my name because you have shed so much blood before me on the earth. Behold, a son shall be born to you who shall be a man of rest, a man of peace. I will give him rest from all his surrounding enemies for his name shall be Solomon, Sholomo, Sholomo. And I will give peace and quiet to Israel in his days. He shall build a house for my name. He shall be my son, and I will be his father, and I will establish his royal throne in Israel forever. Well, so Solomon did build the temple, and it became the house of prayer. Um, you know, our, our nation needs to, to come to this passage of Scripture uh, in Second Chronicles when the um, temple was dedicated um, The Almighty God, our Holy God said, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and I will save them and I will heal their land. Amen? That's what we need, right? Now, the temple was the house of prayer. This is where the people went to meet with God. Um, What is a temple for? A temple is for people to meet with God. Um, Without the presence of God, a temple is just a big empty building. Has anybody ever visited one of the the beautiful cathedrals in Europe? Has anybody ever visited those? All right. I know Pastor Craig went to Spain when he was younger. There's these magnificent buildings, aren't they? And yet nobody goes to church there. They're like museums, right? Um, who is the most important person in church? Who's the most important person in the temple? God. That's exactly right. And if God's not there, then it's just a building, right? This is an old building. There were not as many people here a couple of weeks ago. Um, and uh, well, the guitar's way back there, and I'm not going to do it again. But Lige got this really cool old Martin guitar, and it's it really reminds me a lot of that wall right over there, okay? It's, it's, you know, just been through it, obviously. But man, it has the most beautiful sound. It really, really does. And that's kind of like this building. It's just an old building built in 1897, and it's got plenty of issues. 
However, it is you people that fill this building and meet with God that make it God's temple. Amen? Um, So uh, what you should know is that Solomon's temple, this beautiful, ornate building, was destroyed by the Babylonians in 586 B.C., and that's because the people of Israel uh, consistently turned to idols and sinned against the Lord. It was rebuilt under Zerubbabel when Israel returned from captivity. Um, And then under Herod, that same temple that started as a pretty small structure under Zerubbabel became a magnificent set of structures. But that was destroyed by the Romans in 70 AD under Titus. The reason the temple remains important to this day and why I want to talk about it is because it represents the reality that God is among his people. You see, when the tabernacle was with Israel, within the tabernacle, in the most holy place of the tabernacle was, for lack of a better explanation, a gold box, a big gold box. And it had a lid on it that had two angels called cherubs with their wings spread out and looking down toward the lid. And once a year, the high priest would come in and offer blood on the lid of that box. Within the box were the Ten Commandments written on two tablets of stone, written by the finger of God on two tablets of stone. And those tablets represented the covenant that God had with his people. Well, guess what? We break that covenant. We sin. We fall short. There were 10 commandments. The people knew that they at times broke those commandments, and that's why blood had to be offered. That's why atonement had to be offered in the most holy place of the temple. Um, First the tabernacle, and then the temple, right? Uh, The problem was Solomon's temple became a place where idols were worshiped, and I'm not going to take the time to read this, but I will will point you to Ezekiel chapter 8 if you want to see how horrendous this idolatry had become. I mean, people were offering incense to other gods. Uh, there was there were horrible uh, pagan images that had been scrawled in the temple. And, uh, you know, Ezekiel saw the image of these men, these elders in Israel, who had their back to the temple, and they were facing the sky and worshiping the sun. And God said, that's not what this temple is for. How many of you know there's just one God, right? There is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ, who gave his life as a ransom for all, the testimony given at the proper time, right? But people worship all sorts of other things. They value all sorts of other things. Well, the glory of the Lord left that temple. That is, uh, we're back to Solomon's temple again. Uh, listen to Ezekiel eleven twenty three. 23. The glory of the Lord went up from the midst of the city and stood over the mountain, which is east of the city. So in Ezekiel, beginning in chapter 8, we see the glory of the Lord move from the most holy place and move out into the vestibule and then move out to the edge of the temple grounds. And now the glory of the Lord moves all the way out to the outside of the city. All right? The glory of the Lord had left the temple. Friends, Without God's presence, the temple is just an empty building. Herod's temple, now let's move forward because they rebuilt the temple. And again, as I said, Herod added to it and made it this magnificent structure. Herod's temple was filled with people who rejected the gospel. 
Now, there were plenty who thought they were receiving Jesus, but they were receiving him on their own terms and following him their own way, and they basically just took him as a sort of another way of looking at Judaism. But the Apostle Paul preached the gospel as he received it from the Lord. Um, And uh, it's really, really interesting. In Acts chapter 21... Uh, the Apostle Paul comes into the temple. He's brought an offering, uh, a monetary offering, to help the poor in Jerusalem. He's gone into the temple as a way to make peace with everybody who thinks that he is against the Jewish law. Even though he had been a Pharisee, he was preaching the gospel. And when he got in there, there were a group of religious leaders who were irate and began grabbing him and dragging him out of the temple. In fact, it said that they would have torn him apart. They were screaming. This is the man who is uh, is speaking against Moses and speaking against the law everywhere. They accused him of bringing a Greek into the temple. Well, if you know anything about the temple, uh, there was a, a far outer court for the Gentiles, but it wasn't anywhere near the temple proper right? And then there was the court of the women, and then there was the court of the men, and then there was the court of the priests. So you move closer and closer and closer to the building, right? And then uh, on the steps in front of the temple, there was a huge altar where sacrifices were offered. And then you went inside the building, and you were in the most holy place. There was a a table where there was bread that was uh, left there every day. There was an altar of incense. There was a candelabra in there that was lit. And priests went in there, and they offered their service. In fact, we're coming to Christmas and the Christmas story. This is where Zechariah was in the holy place, when the angel appeared to him and spoke to him about his uh, uh, son, John, who would be the forerunner of the Messiah, right? And as I told you before, there was a, a final place in the temple, and um, it was called the Holy of Holies or the Most Holy Place, and only the high priest could pass through this very thick curtain into the Holy of Holies, and he could only do that once a year. What happened when Jesus uh, died on the cross? What happened to that that uh, curtain that divided the Holy of Holies from the holy place. It was torn in two from top to bottom, as in God ripped it. And he was saying, now I have opened the most holy place to all of my people, right? Um, So together, we need to understand that today, we are the temple. Now, I referred to this building as an expression of the temple, but that's only when you gather here. It's not that when you're not here, right? I can tell you that it's just a big empty building. And uh, sometimes it really smells because it's old and there's some sort of a venting thing that happens from out of the sewer or something. You guys have probably come in here when it smelled like that before. That's why uh, I started burning incense at times. I, I didn't like become, you know, into incense or anything. It's just... It's cheaper than air freshener. This air, these air freshener things that we plug in, they're like $5 and they last for maybe a month. Incense is 99 cents for like a giant pack. I'm like, I'm all about it. Let's burn some incense, right? And plus the kids love to watch it burn and, and curl up, right? Um, so we need to understand in transitioning from the temples that were torn down. And by the way, Herod's temple was torn down by the Romans in 70 AD. Has it been rebuilt? It has not. Now, there are some who believe that it will be rebuilt. There are even some who believe the sacrificial system will start up again. Jesus offered the final sacrifice. There's no more need for a sacrificial system, right? 
And there, but there are those who believe the temple has to be rebuilt before Jesus returns, and I do not believe that. It may be rebuilt, I don't know. But I don't think it has to be rebuilt before Jesus returns because the temple is no longer a building. The temple is God's people gathered. Together, we who belong to Christ form the temple today. Listen to what the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 3.16. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and God's spirit dwells in your midst? Now, it says in Greek, it says in you, but the you is plural, right? So when we talk about in you all, we're probably talking about among you all, right? So when we gather together, the reason why church is so important is because it is the place where we come together to meet with the Lord. Now, I will get to the point in just a moment that you also or your body, if you're a believer, is a temple. But this is not identical. When we gather together, there is a magnified presence of God that is simply not available when you're by yourself, not even when you're online. Now, I'm not saying that you don't sense the presence of God or uh, that the Holy Spirit doesn't speak to you, but it's simply not the same. No, we can't just gather together and sit in seats. We need to pay attention. We need to participate. We need to anticipate that God is here. Amen? That's really, that, that was the, the name that uh, Isaiah was told uh, that uh, Jesus would be known by. What's the name? Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. So if you come to church to meet with other people, that's fine. But gosh, you could go to the tavern across the street and do that and get lit in the process. I hear it every Friday and Saturday, all right? You know, you go go down to Intrinsic and, and hang out, all right? Uh, that's where my buddies, the Henrys, I see them down there all the time. Every time I turn around, he's like, oh, there they are again. We're Intrinsic. So, and uh, yeah, in fact, Robert gets in there a lot. And he says, yeah, you're here a lot. And I say, yeah, I kind of am there a lot. And yeah, I kind of am there a lot. Yeah, you can gather a lot of different places, right? You can gather at the gym, although that's not really a great place to talk to people, although I do see some people that do. But this is different. We're gathering in the name of the Lord. We're gathering around the Lord, and we're here primarily to meet the Lord. Amen? All right? So um, then we need to see that you as an individual believer, your body is considered to be a temple of the Holy Spirit, right? Right? Listen to what it says in 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. Say, I'm not my own. Man, you know, how many of you ever heard somebody, or maybe you've even said it, have ever heard somebody say, uh, you know, my body's a temple? Anybody ever heard that? Okay. There can be a lot of applications uh, there related to what you put on your body, put what you put in your body. You know, uh, people have talked to me in the past about, let's just give, give an example about tattoos, right? And I said, well, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. So if you would find the image that you're going to get on your body on a church or a cathedral or a temple, then by all means, but if you're putting some demonic thing on your body, I question why you're doing that. What is the, what is the point? We, we don't put demons in temples, do we? A lot. Not if they worship Jesus, we don't, okay? Um, what we should understand is that uh, even when 
several of us gather together, the Spirit of the Lord is there in our midst. Where two or three are gathered in my name, Jesus said, I am in their midst. That's Matthew 18, 20. So the temple's not a building, but it is God's people. Say, we are the temple. And the Lord is where his people are gathered. Listen to what Jesus said to the woman at the well. And this was our theme uh, verse for many years in our church uh, when we were known as Zion. But the time is coming, Jesus said to the woman, and even now has arrived when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. He was helping the woman at the well understand that the temple was not a building. They had their own temple, the Samaritans did, because they weren't allowed in the Jewish temple. So they had kind of a a broke-down temple there in Gerizim, and that's where they met. And then, of course, the the Jews were meeting in the the temple that God had uh, actually sanctioned And Jesus affirmed, no, God has revealed himself to the Jews, but you need to understand, he said to the woman, a time is coming and now has come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. So, you know, this is not a church building, okay? This is an old frontier-style building. In fact, I don't know if you know this or not, but this used to be a drugstore. Over on this side of the room, if you stomp down below this carpet, it's hard. There's concrete right there. And that's where the counters were for, for the, like the soda fountain and all of that. And over on this side of the room, if you stomp down, the, the floor is wood. And this is where all of the, you know, the, the, the tables or the shelves and so forth were for people to buy the drugstore, okay, um, buy, or buy items from the drugstore. Uh, then it was the Garland Opry for a while. It was a country music venue for a while. And then we came in, and now it is the place where we meet for church. But guys, wherever we meet, folks, wherever we meet, if we gather in the name of the Lord, and he is in our midst, we are the temple. Amen? And that is the church, and that's what church is supposed to be, okay? All right, the temple was patterned after the greater temple in heaven. So this wasn't just some sort of a random idea. This goes all the way back to Moses. God gave Moses the pattern for the tabernacle, and then the the tabernacle, remember, is the tent that moved around, but it had the same pattern, okay? It had that altar at the front. It had the holy place. It had the most holy place in the holy place. It still had the the showbread. It had the the candelabra with the the light. It had the incense, and the, the, uh, the, the Ark of the Covenant was in the most holy place, and then that all gets transitioned to this more permanent building called the temple. Right? Listen to what the scripture says about this pattern. This is Hebrews 9.11. But when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands. That is to say, not part of this creation. There is a temple in heaven, a greater temple, a greater tabernacle. And that's what the temple was patterned after. And then in Hebrews 9.24, it says, For Christ did not enter a sanctuary, a temple, made with human hands that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself, now to appear for us in God's presence. So um, I was thinking I was going to use this structure of the temple to help you understand certain things uh, about uh, human nature uh, and uh, about worship itself. And I may do that at some point in the future, but I'm not going to do that today. I want to go back to this application 
that you are the temple. Okay, so here are my, my concluding application points. You said concluding already? It's a long conclusion. All right. Oh, <laughs> it's not that long. It's okay. Get some coffee. Um, first, part, first application point. Apart from the real presence of God, Christianity is nothing more than a religion. Christianity is no more or less a religion than any other religion, Islam, Mormonism, Buddhism, without the real presence of God. We are the temple, your body is a temple, and God must dwell among us, and God must dwell within you. Maybe the reason why church is not doing it for you is because you're not paying attention to the presence of God. You're not opening yourself up to the presence of God, okay? Um, we've been through so many things over the last three years. I was just reading a book. Uh, John Eldridge has a new book out that I can recommend, and I may be doing something in our church where we look at this book in more depth, but it's called, I think, Resilient is what it's called. Listen, man, I, I only bought the, the preview, or I just checked the preview to see if I wanted to buy it, and I can already tell you I recommend it. But uh, he's got some psychological understanding of what has gone on in all of our lives and how we've ju- we're just worn out, guys. And I see some of you, you know, it's more pronounced than others. Um, Eldridge gives this illustration of a camel, okay? Camels are amazing, magnificent animals, they can go for weeks without water. Did you know that? You know how long you can go without water? About three or four days, and then you die. You can go, you know, depending on how much padding you've got, you can go a while without food, right? But man, we got to have a camel store water, right? That's why they got those humps. And they can walk over the hottest desert for miles and miles, and, and they just they they have unbelievable endurance. They just never stop. And he shows the difference, or gives the difference between a camel and a horse. Horses are also magnificent and amazing, but they don't store water, and you can tell when a horse is getting tired. Okay, but you can't. Apparently, you can't tell when a camel is wearing out. But you know what happens? They just drop to their knees and die. They just keep going and keep going and keep going. Man, that's some of us, isn't it? And I don't want you to get to the place where you just drop to your knees, metaphorically speaking, and die and give up, right? And interestingly, Eldridge's first application is that we need to drink water from the well, right? The, the, the water that this church is named after right? The, the, the Holy Spirit is that water that gives us that never-ending life, a spring of water welling up to everlasting life. All the way back to my point, you need the Holy Spirit. I said this during the pandemic. You need the Holy Spirit, and you need his guidance every day. We needed his guidance back then because I wanted you to know, you know, when and where to go to avoid infection and avoid harm. You need his encouragement, right? Encouragement means he fills us with courage. We need his strength. We need his comfort. You need the presence of God in your life. Amen? You really do. Seek that out. Um, That's what we're to ask for, to ask for the indwelling, infilling presence of the Holy Spirit. The presence of God uh, is the Holy Spirit, and apart from the indwelling Holy Spirit, you're lost. 
You can't be a Christian if you don't have the Holy Spirit. Listen to what it says in Romans 8 9. The Apostle Paul writes, You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, that's the natural, but are in the realm of the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. Right? Are you saved? If you're saved, you have the Spirit of Christ. But if you don't have the Spirit of Christ, no matter what you say, you're not saved. Well, how do I get the Spirit of Christ? How do I get the Holy Spirit? I put my faith in the Lord Jesus. That's why the Holy Spirit can live within us, whereas before Christ's death on the cross, the Holy Spirit could only abide nearby someone or empower someone for a task. But now the Holy Spirit can make your body his temple, right? Listen to what the Scripture says, um, about Jesus' sacrifice on the cross that makes this possible. This is Hebrews 10, 19 through 23. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promises faithful. Jesus' death on the cross and resurrection makes it possible for you to have an unbroken, consistent relationship with God. Amen? And that's what we need more than anything. You don't need more money. You don't need a bigger house. You don't need a better this or that. You need the presence of the Holy Spirit. And then God's going to provide everything else you need. Next point of application, put your faith in Jesus, turn from your sins and receive his spirit now if you haven't done that, okay? John 1, 12, yet to as many as received him, to them he gave the power to be children of God, even, children of God, even to those that called on his name. If you have not called on the name of Jesus, if you have not confessed him as your Lord, that's step Number one, you can cry out to God about all these other things, and then you wonder why nothing happens. Have you ever given him your life? Have you ever called him your Lord, your boss, your master, the one who's in charge? That's what saves us. Whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's what it says going all the way back to Joel chapter 2, and then Peter preaches it in the first uh Pentecostal sermon in Acts chapter 2, and the Apostle Paul says it again in Romans 10, 13, call on the name of Jesus to be saved, right? Next point of application, live every moment of every day filled with the Spirit and following his counsel. Ephesians 5, 18 says, don't get drunk on wine or beer or whatever, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, and then Galatians 5.16, the Apostle Paul says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. That's what we need, that moment-by-moment moment walk in the light of his counsel. As the presence of the Lord remained in the Holy of Holies, so the Holy Spirit dwells continually in the heart of a believer. What is your heart? I don't mean your blood pumper, okay? This is at the center of your physical body, so to speak, okay? 
But when we say your heart or, or receive Jesus into your heart, we mean bring Jesus into the center of your being, your innermost being. You have a holy of holies. Again, I would tell you, go over and read Ezekiel chapter 8. I, I don't think we need a message that's that negative right now, but you just look at the idols that the people had brought into the temple, and I wonder what you've let into your heart. I wonder what you've let into your home. I wonder what you've let come into your mind, right? Scripture says in Romans 8, 16, the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we're children of God. Your heart is the place where your spirit resides. When God speaks to somebody, I don't know if you think you've ever heard God uh, speak with an audible voice. I certainly haven't. But I will tell you that that's not the way God typically speaks. So if you're thinking that your faith is not strong enough or you're an immature believer because you've never heard an audible voice, I would say the opposite, okay? God's spirit moves upon your spirit. God's spirit influences your spirit, right? He gives you direction, spirit to spirit. See, here it is, somebody that doesn't know they're saved, the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we're children of God. So what you need to do is you need to be careful about what you let into your heart. Proverbs 4.23 says, guard your heart, for from it are the wellsprings of life. That's where the, the life well is in you. It springs up from your heart. Don't pollute that well, okay? I see these signs all over Garland that are trying to keep people from uh, throwing trash and sewage that will get down into the water, right? Uh, you know, all of these, uh, these uh, drainage places that they're digging up out here. When people just, you know, they throw dog manure or, or, or trash or whatever, it gets down into the water supply, okay? And that's what we find happening in our lives, guys. The, the Holy Spirit dwells in your heart and he gives you this wellspring of life, but we put trash. It's like throwing garbage down in a well, all right? How horrible is that? Offer your body as a living sacrifice to the Lord. This is your temple. This is your temple. Offer it to the Lord as a living sacrifice. Don't do anything with your body. Don't let anything into your body that doesn't honor God. Uh, Romans 12, 1 says that. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice to God, holy and pleasing. This is your true and proper worship. I like this psalm. I've encountered it on a number of occasions because it starts with your heart and then extends to your body and then extends to your family and your home right? This holiness. Think of the temple. Starts with the holy of holies, moves out to the holy place, into the vestibule, into the steps, and to the court of the priests, and the court of the men, and the court of the women, and the court of the Gentiles. You, do you know how vast your soul really is? You think, well, I'm just little old me, okay? You remember that story where Jesus encountered a demoniac in a graveyard? Right? They had just come across the Sea of Galilee, and this guy comes running up to Jesus, screaming, he's buck naked, and throws himself on the ground and says, don't torment me before the time. And Jesus said, what is your name? Well, he didn't mean the man. He knew that there was something else evil going on here. 
And the demons within the man spoke out and said, Legion, because they were many. How many many soldiers were in a Roman legion? 6,000. That's a lot of demons crammed into one dude. And just so that we see that it's not a metaphor, there were a herd of pigs feeding on the side of the hill. And the demons cried out to Jesus and said, don't torment us before the time. Let us go into the pigs. And Jesus said, go. And they went into these pigs and drove this whole herd of pigs mad until they ran over to the side of the hill and killed themselves. Your soul is vast. You know, we hear today about influencers. Really, what are they influencing people to do? I mean, just think about that. You know, they're influencing people. But see, you're an influencer. And you may think, well, I only have like, you know, 10 followers on Facebook. (laughs) I got off of Twitter and then I get back on Twitter and now nobody follows me. It's awesome. Um, And I'm, you know, trying really hard because I'm like all about Elon right now. I'm I'm liking Twitter. Um, I'm seeing some of these pictures that somebody's, a couple of people have posted a picture that says be blessed or something like that. And it gets covered up on Facebook as, uh, a, as graphic content. I, how in the world is that recognized as graphic content? There's another one where uh, a cowboy is uh, rescuing like uh, either a lamb or, a, or, or a, a calf, okay? He's rescuing this animal. It's not bloody or anything like that. And Facebook has it covered up as graphic content, Oh my goodness, man. So, you know, what are we, again, what are we influencing people to do, right? You may have a social media presence or maybe you don't. Maybe you're on Instagram and you do a lot of pictures and you do this and that. But we, we do. We have, a, we have a soul that extends out and it certainly it extends to your family. And I will say this, Thanksgiving is the perfect opportunity for you to extend that holiness of the Lord out to your family. Don't, don't participate in the dirty jokes, Right? I put a post on there yesterday. I'm taking it off my profile now because for some reason it caused controversy. I'm really not sure why. Um, Because there's three things you can do on Facebook, right? If people are just, they can't, you know, calm down and what they're doing is offensive, you you can snooze them, right? You know this, right? So then you don't see anything from them for 30 days and then they'll start reappearing. You can unfollow them which means they'll still be your friend. You could, they can come over to your page or whatever you want to call it. You can go over to theirs, but you're not going to see anything that they post. And then you can just flat out unfriend them, right? So I was encountering several uh, instances of people with filthy mouths, right? And using filthy gestures. And I just said, you know, th- this is not what I'm going to do. It's snooze, it's unfollow, and then it's unfriend, Right? I'm not better than anybody else. I just don't want trash in my life. I, I've got enough issues, right? We, we've got to control what's coming in. And that may mean social media. That may mean entertainment. There's a whole lot of things that that may mean, okay? But here's the psalm. I will carefully attend to the blameless way. By the way, this is Psalm 101, verses 2 through 4. I will carefully attend to the blameless way. When will you come to me? I will walk within my house in the integrity of my heart. I will set no worthless thing before my eyes. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. A a perverse heart shall leave me. I will know no evil. So if the Thanksgiving celebration is at your house, you have even more control, okay? 
But certainly, if, you know, people are doing things that you know are wrong or telling jokes or, uh, you know, bringing entertainment into their home, you know, you don't have to be mean to them to just pick up and go, right? If you have a, you know, a good relationship with them, you can kind of pull them aside and say, hey, you know, maybe this is not what we want to be doing on a day that we're supposed to be offering the Lord thanks. One way or the other, I'm not trying to teach you to be sanctimonious or holier than thou, whatever, okay? But I am trying to help you to understand that you need to protect your heart, your mind, and your soul. And then final point is don't give up gathering with us for worship. Um, It is together that we magnify the Lord and demonstrate what it means to be his magnificent temple. I really love this. Um, Psalm 22.3 says that when we praise the Lord, when we're gathered together and we praise the Lord, okay, it says that we form a throne for him. All right, the scripture says, Psalm 22.3, you sit enthroned on the praises of your people. See, I wonder whether that throne that we are supposed to be offering the Lord in this room when the band is singing or when you're encouraged, I wonder how stable that is if he wants to come sit on that, right? Um, And then this final verse and my final word today, Hebrews 10.24 through 25 And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as are some in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near or the day approaching. And the day is the day of Christ's return and the day of judgment. So I hope that you will see that you need to confess Christ as Lord. You need to open your heart and receive him so that your heart becomes his home. And then I hope that now as we we continue on with these last couple of songs, that you will help to build that throne for the Lord to sit in for these last few moments that we're here. And Thanksgiving, I know I didn't say a lot about Thanksgiving, but it's supposed to be about offering thanks to who? To the Lord. Being thankful doesn't make any sense unless there's somebody you're thankful to. And Thanksgiving was established in this country as an opportunity for us to give thanks to God for all the things that he's done. And I hope you'll do that.